Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 135th week of the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. Everybody's here this week. We got Wyatt, we got Jared, we got Bart, we got Aiden. And we're going to just jump right into some news we missed. Uh, we're going to get started with a little bit of soccer. The World Cup for 2026 announced its host cities. There are 11 in the United States, including New York, New Jersey. They did not officially call it New York or anything <laughs> like that. They just had to call it New York, New Jersey, uh, L.A., Dallas, San Francisco, Miami, Atlanta, Seattle, Houston, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Boston in the U.S., three cities in Mexico, Guadalajara, Monterey, and Mexico City, and two in Canada, Toronto, and Vancouver. Any Dang. thoughts? No Portland. All right. No Not Portland. major market? Okay. Which city <laughs> didn't get a game? Do all the stadium? That can no, work actually, <laughs> that's, okay. well, we have the Portland Thorns, but it's probably it's pretty small in, in Timbers, but I don't know how big it is. This isn't a Timbers yeah. game, Jared. Okay. Yeah. This is <laughs> We're a soccer city, though. They like, that's they true. like soccer. That is true. You can just drive up to Seattle. You know, yeah. it's close enough. Um, all right. In some basketball news, I'm going to just pass this off to, I think, Wyatt added it to the uh, to the headline stock. Um Drake's team went back to back in his private SBL basketball league. Do you have anything to add to that? Nothing really. That's exactly what it what it is. He <laughs> hosts a basketball league in his house, and mm-hmm. it's like a, I think it's three on three by the looks of it. And he just won back to back championships, and they were popping champagne and taking pictures on this like banner thing. I don't know. He it's it's fun, just funny that it's his league in his own house, and he won two times in a row. <laughs> yeah. Who else is gonna win? <laughs> Exactly. Oh, yeah, God. that he released a new album this week. Things are going well for Drake, mm-hmm. even if the album was not as well received as <laughs> some might have thought. Who cares if you win uh, the SBL basketball league? How you know? You're set. Regardless of what else, he's an SBL champion. You know, you know what, yeah, else, exactly. What else do you need? You what know? else can you say to him? He can retire. Yeah. Exactly. Um, in some college football news. Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman started some beef with Ohio State, who they play in the first game this season. Um, Freeman said that, quote, players at Notre Dame can't cheat at academics at Notre Dame when he was outlining the differences between Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Cincinnati, the places he's coached before, which he did walk back a little bit. But So did he explicitly say that players at Cincinnati and Ohio State can cheat, or it was just like an implicit by what he said? I think it was implicit by what he said. Gotcha. They're like, how okay. is Notre Dame different from Cincinnati, yeah. Ohio State? And he's like, blah, 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 blah. and players can't cheat at Notre Dame. Yeah. I think at least what he was, or what he said he was trying to go for was like the class size thing. It's just like a much larger school, Ohio State. And so it's easier for one to kind of skip mm. stuff, whereas Notre Dame is small. And so it's not the, you know, not as easy to do so. That might have just been him trying to escape what he said but i think it was him trying to escape what he said you know. but yeah or he just said the quiet part out loud and you know who knows yeah. <laughs> who knows yes um and some more football news some pro football news gronk retired um who knows for how long but as of right now he is retired 
He's only like uh, 33. I didn't realize that. Which, I mean, that's yeah, old for a tight end, but still. still. I was like, dang. He seems way older than that. He does. Mind. Like He's been around for so yeah. long. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And our last news we missed is that Kyrie Irving apparently wants out of the net, out from the nets. He is moving teams for who knows how many times in the last like four or five years. Um, apparently, the Lakers, Clippers, and Knicks are seen as the most likely landing spots, i.e. the three teams in the largest markets besides the one that he is playing on. So, who knows how that'll end up. Did y'all see all the stuff about him running separate practices after Steve Nash's practices? <laughs> no, I did not see that. On brand, though. That's the most Kyrie thing ever. <laughs> Uh, all right, but we're going to get started with our main segments today. Um, first, we're going to continue with the NBA theme. The NBA Finals wrapped up last week with the Golden State Warriors winning their fourth title in the last eight years, beating the Boston Celtics four games to two. So today, we're focusing on some of the biggest legacy questions from the series, with a couple other little questions in there. But we'll start with this question. Wyatt, does this win in the Finals make Steve Kerr a top three coach of all time? No, but I don't have a problem with anyone that says that it does make him a top three coach. He, he's moved his way into the top five, specifically the top number or number four on my list. I have Phil Jackson and Red Arbach locked in at one and two. Popovich is going to take the number three spot for me ahead of Kerr, and Kerr is going to be sitting at four. I'll also accept any arguments to say Pat Riley should be four mm-hmm. and Kerr at five, mm-hmm. but I'm just this is my list, so I'm just going to put him at four. Going into the season, he was one of the top 15, in no particular order, top 15 greatest coaches of all of the last 75 years according to the nba 75 list whether or not we actually want to hold that list to some any legitimacy whatsoever considering that they with the player portion they did not exactly put the 75 greatest players or at least the most deserving ones however you want to put it but he's he's already kind of in this upper echelon of coaches so i'll I'll accept anybody that wants to put him three Uh, i'll accept anybody that think think thinks that he has to be number five he's four for me I will not accept, though, any notion that people say that Kerr is only successful because he fell into the lap of three Hall of Fame players. Every single coach that you could put in the top five of all time had coached a top 15 Hall of Fame level player. Phil Jackson, Popovich, Pat Riley, they all have their players. Steve Kerr, they all have their players. Before Steve Kerr got hired by the Warriors, they made the playoffs two times in the five years Steph Curry had been drafted, and they never got out of round two. Steph Curry only made one all-star team, and Draymond Green, the Hall of Fame Draymond Green, was barely cracking the starting lineup. Steve Kerr was was the coach who truly unlocked the potential for Steph, Clay, and Draymond. He put Steph in this non-traditional role from the modern point guard, put him more off the ball. He's more in the catch-and-shooting role. Steve Kerr's job. He empowered Draymond Green to be the primary playmaker, basically, for that offense as well. That was Steve Kerr. And just above all else, his resume speaks for itself. Six finals appearances in eight years as a head coach. Four victories. He has a 68% winning percentage as a coach. And he has the NBA record for the most wins in a season, sandwiched right in between two other 67-win seasons. Steve Kerr is clearly one of the five best coaches in basketball history, the only reason why I'm not giving him the nod over Pop is because Pop is the most has the most wins in NBA history. He has more championships, and he also wins at like a 60% level as well. So it's not just a longevity thing. Uh, Pop 
deserves a nod for his fantastic 26 years in the league so far, but I'll accept any arguments that put him above him. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm not like a basketball schematic genius or anything. Um, if you thought I was, sorry, but when you watch <laughs> the, when you watch their basketball bit. comparing him to Pop, for example, like I feel like I haven't seen like as good of like yes the Warriors have stars but as good of team basketball since watching the Spurs for example the way they move around especially off the ball is just so impressive where they they will get a bad matchup on it feels like every possession they'll find a bad matchup somehow it's really impressive and like you said that's coaching yeah can I just throw some stats out there to like supplement the already impressive ones why it gave so there's only so why I mentioned that he's won um, a title four times in his eight seasons, which means in half of the seasons he's coached, he's won a title. The only person to have a higher percentage of seasons winning a title is Phil Jackson, who had 11 and 20 seasons, which is ridiculous. But still, so the only one person above him there. So that's maybe an argument for a second. Um, in addition to that, he has the highest playoff win percentage of all time at seven, 73.2% of playoff games he's won. And his overall record in playoff series is 22 and 2. He's only ever lost two playoff series in his entire time as Warriors head coach, and he has won 22. Those are insane numbers, and I think, like, make a pretty compelling case for him to be top three. And I think just, like, looking at this year alone, like, I think this year's maybe arguably his most impressive coaching job of any other. Like, there's just a lot of difficulty, like, we knew going into the season. Like, <clears throat> Steph is getting older. Clay's coming off a two-year injury. Draymond is clearly falling off. And guys like Wiggins and Peyton and Looney were kind of largely unproven. Um, maybe Looney less so than the other two. Um, but, you know, I think Wiggins and Peyton coming into this year had a lot to prove. And I'm not going to chalk it all up to Steve Kerr, but something about his coaching, like, really helped the team this year. Like, Steph looked like vintage Steph for a lot of the season. Clay was really good, at least as good as he could have been coming off that injury. Wiggins was an all-star this year. Um, and was maybe the second best player in the finals. And he finally sort of, like, cast off, like, the, you know, all the sort of, like, negative criticism that he got since being draft number one overall. After bouncing around the league for years, Gary Payton Jr. like looked like one of the best defensive players in the league. Um, and Looney was a great rim protector. And I think a lot of that, you, again, you can attribute to Kerr's coaching. And I think, like, you know, Wyatt alluded to this, like, very in the beginning that, like, he just had three all-stars fall into his lap. But I think you have to look at a year like this year and just, like, see how good of a coach he is with what he did with this team, given all the struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if we're going to move on then from Kerr, um, got a few other legacy questions then to talk about from the finals. Um, I'll throw this next one out there to anybody who wants it. Is Steph Curry now the greatest point guard in NBA history? I, I guess my question... magic. <clears throat> yeah. My question is, what's the, what's the real argument that he isn't? Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson are the mythic like NBA legends that sports gatekeepers want to determine mm-hmm. are untouchable. So I guess this is another question presented out. What are the items on a resume that hold the most value when it comes to a player at a position? When, when we're talking about the greatest players of all time, what are the points of the resume that actually matter? What is the criteria that actually matters? Because at some point we have to believe what we see out of these players. And when it comes to legitimate accomplishments, the goalposts will always get moved further and further back. We see it with LeBron when they talk about Jordan. Well, he doesn't have this. Well, he doesn't have that. When we talk about Steph as the greatest point guard of all time, they, there has to be a true criteria that we're comparing it to. Otherwise, we're just kind of doing the wishy-washy thing. There's no more wait and see for Steph. He has a lot of firsts on his resume. 
He's the first player to win 73 games ever. He's the first ever unanimous MVP. He's the first player to, to hit 3,117 three-pointers. He clears Magic Johnson by 3,000 points. Uh, Magic Johnson doesn't even have the Magic Johnson Western Conference MVP trophy. Steph Curry is the only one in NBA history <laughs> to have won it. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but I'm serious. What, what is the legitimate criteria for people? And this is, this is the rhetorical for people out there. You gatekeepers. What 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 is the what's the rules? What are the rules? Make them clear. Instead, quit pushing the goalpost back for players like Steph Curry because he's clearly if he's not one, he's two when he's right on Magic Johnson's ass. I agree that Martin he's two. Shaking your heads. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. He might not be one. Yeah. I mean, Magic has more titles anyway, and <laughs> Magic has more MVPs, right? Like Magic is a extremely impressive player. I don't think it's degrading to Steph to say that he's the second best point guard of all time. I feel like there's also going to be the degree of like, and I don't think this is necessarily fair, but Magic is more of a prototypical point guard, obviously, than Steph Curry is. Like Steph Curry feels like positionless to a degree, or he just feels like a scorer. Like that's what we know Steph Curry for. Whereas Magic Johnson is that prototype point guard who's just an amazing passer. Not that Steph Curry isn't that but he's more so known for his scoring the the way i saw it phrased which i think is a little bit of a stretch is that the difference between magic and steph's accolades is almost a hall of fame career in and of itself so i i think you're i don't know if you're just being disingenuous wyatt or if you just like didn't look at what 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 magic did but he has one more title he has one more mvp he has four more first team all nbas he led in steals one more time he led the league in, in assists four times, which Steph has never done. There's like Steph could never have started in place of Kareem and put up 40, 15 and 15 or whatever he did in that one finals game. Steph is a much better shooter, but point guard is point guard. I think there's more to it than just that. I like that phrasing too of like the difference between them as like a Hall of Fame career because like yeah, I think that's, that's just like one career, one true. MVP, and four All NBA or first team NBA teams. Yeah, that, as a that Hall would of Fame, you, that would probably get you the Hall of Fame. That yeah. would, that would. I guess it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. They kind of let anybody in. Yeah. <laughs> they say that about every Hall of Fame. I yeah, Wayne Gretzky. That's how, that's how I destroy this argument. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky without his goals is like the difference is still a Hall of Fame player. That's the classic example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with Wyatt. What's your Steph is two? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, Wyatt. What's your argument for Steph over Magic? I know you mentioned something about him scoring more or having. (coughs) He clears him by by about three thousand points. He's the first ever to become a unanimous unanimous MVP. He has he's won the 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 most games in NBA history. He broke an NBA record for the most three pointers in NBA history. He's accomplished a lot so far in his career. And I know that Mm -hmm. the four he only has four. Um, first team All NBAs uh, on his resume, but I also think that like you can't just compare hardware to hardware all the time. You have to kind of look at the like Steph Curry is his three point shot is one of the most dominating things, unstoppable things in NBA history. You know, it's more dominating than a dunk or a, a Michael Jordan layup or really like the sky hook. It, like it's or it's at least on that level. And I think that just because Steph Curry is a 6'2 point guard, it kind of just get gets looked at less than because 
oh, well, he couldn't guard like Magic could. But Magic couldn't do half the things that Steph Curry could do, even as a ball handler and as a three-point shooter. So I don't think that – I'm not making a huge case to saying that Steph Curry is miles above. And, in fact, he might still be too because Magic Johnson made nine finals and won five of them. But, you know, I don't think that the goalpost has to be moved where, oh, he needs to win another MVP – and another finals for him to actually become the greatest point guard of all time. I think it's fair to say that he's, you know, maybe he's a finals away or, you know, another finals appearance away or something like that. If he wins, if he goes to seven and he still won four, I think I still think that's just as impressive considering some of the other accomplishments that he's had in his career, even if it doesn't come with hardware, like winning 73 games. Now that he has four titles in the finals MVP, I don't think, I don't think the finals is ever going to be something that somebody should get hung up on with him. Now I think it's just about <laughs> longevity and the more individual stuff. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you on the frustration at, or the general frustration that we've talked about a lot on this podcast of nostalgia kind of moving the goalposts, especially when people will say the thing that they're hung up on, on a player and then the player will prove that wrong and then they'll find something else just to mm-hmm. go out of their way to you know, not have that player be the best of all time or top whatever. Um, yeah, talk to me when he has eight fair. rings. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It used to be talk to me when he has four rings. And then, um, now, like... <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of people who like to move the goalposts, uh, Bill Simmons <laughs> said that this Warriors team was not a dynasty. Do we have thoughts on that? That's, yes. like, objectively wrong, right? Okay, first first off, yeah, <laughs> definitely wrong. But second question is, who cares? Why do we care so much about defining, like, these NBA dynasties and just, like, this was a great run. It's still going, and this is a great run by a core, like, uh, the core with uh, Clay, Steph, and Draymond, and Steve Kerr at the helm. You know, I, and if this one... Like, if this one doesn't qualify as a dynasty, then I have no interest in defining dynasties ever again. That's kind of my that's kind of my thing on this. Hmm. It's kind of it's stupid. If they never three feature, they can't be a dynasty. That's, that's stupid. <laughs> What's the stupid criteria? Because <laughs> yeah. they've won in in the eight year span that they've been t- determined as a dynasty. Dynasty. They've won fifty percent of the titles. I feel like that. Like you yeah. have a clear advantage over everybody. You you won it at yeah. at a way higher clip than anybody else did in that in that time. Then you're a dynasty. I think that that's, okay, so yeah, that's it, the definition. And, and if they want to say, like, you have to three-peat to be a dynasty, then then Bird, uh-huh. Bird Celtics weren't a dynasty. Uh, Magic's Lakers weren't a dynasty because I remember Michael Jordan. I didn't verify this, but Michael Jordan in the last dance kept saying, Bird Magic never won three, so that's why you wanted to go for the three-peat. Yeah. So that means they yeah. weren't a dynasty either, so they three your list is getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> yeah, I disagree on the point of not arguing what teams are dynasties because i think it is fun but i feel like this is not yeah i yeah i think it is fun and i think it's a you know um maybe there's not actual value from it but just because i enjoy it i I would like to discuss what's your criteria but i don't know it is easily fulfilled by the warriors i had the like i assumed the warriors were a dynasty before this without this Mm -hmm. i thought the warriors were i feel like three is the number to some degree i was gonna say that like Bill, it's especially funny coming from Bill Simmons because you know he would say the Pats are one, right? And I thought yep. the Pats were considered mm-hmm. one when they won three out of four way back when. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly mm-hmm. what the Warriors just did mm-hmm. a few years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, how is he mm-hmm. going to say that mm-hmm. they are a dynasty but the Warriors aren't? So I, I'm, I'm with you, Aiden. They already were one. Yeah. This is just a cherry on top. Yeah. Move the goalposts. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Last question we have about the NBA Finals, then. Uh, we're going to switch to the other side, uh, the Celtics. What do you think the chances are they make it back next year? Slim. Yeah, I, I don't think, think the Bucks they would, might be the going I, favorite. I was going to say that, too. I think they could make it in the next, like, three years. I wouldn't be shocked, but I would be shocked if they made it again next year. Because I feel like the Bucks, they have the best player in the East, and they, they're, like, a pretty well-constructed team overall, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, I pretend, I think the Bucks are the favorite, but I would not be shocked at all yeah. if the Celtics got back. Like, I would not I'd say shocked. it's maybe in my mind like fifty percent the Bucks, like thirty percent the Celtics. Like, those are like relatively yeah. like sort of like close numbers in my mind. And that, like, I mean, what they need is they need Tatum to step up like a little more in big games. They need Brown and Smart to like you know keep playing like they're playing. Horford's getting older, um, but you know they have other good role players like Williams and White. And I think that like. Yeah, like, I wouldn't be shocked if they did it again. The core will probably largely remain intact um, at this point. And, I mean, they beat the Bucks this year. Obviously, the Bucks didn't have Middleton, so it's, like, a little different. But, I don't know. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me if, like, things fall their way yeah. when they get back next year. I just feel like there's no other, besides the Bucks. who else is getting better in the East, or what I assume is going to get better next year? I feel like the Heat will still be good, but their kind of centerpiece yeah, is Jimmy Butler, Sixers. who's aging. Sixers could be good, but also, like, who knows what the heck is going to happen with Harden yeah. and how he'll play next year if he is on the Sixers. And then besides that, I mean, I'm not that scared of the Raptors or the <laughs> Cavs even yet or the, you mm, know, no. the Nets. <laughs> so, mm. so I feel like they're definitely my top two for the East. Um, so I would not be shocked. Yeah. No, yeah. Like I said, I put it at, like, 50% the Bucks, 30% the Celtics, like, Eight percent the Heat, seven percent the Sixers, and like five percent the Field. You know, mm-hmm. gotta crunch the numbers on that math. Can you? I've been here the two. Yeah, that worked. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, I just think if the Celtics played as as well, or yeah, at the same level that they played in the finals, it'd be hard for me to believe that they could actually beat the Bucks. Or maybe even just the Heat again. I mean, they. I said in my analysis going into this finals is I think one through five you could make the argument that the the Celtics were better than the Warriors, or they at least had you know more or better players in their starting lineup than the Warriors did. But at the end of the day, like Jason Tatum was as reckless as could be, and Jalen Brown was as reckless as could be with the with the ball. Jason Tatum literally had a hundred turnovers this entire postseason. Jalen Brown doesn't look like he can even he, he can even dribble. Jason Tatum does not look like a strong dribbler. I just think like it's they have to show a lot of growth in the next couple of years, and I think that the the Bucks are just ahead of him. I mean, luckily that he's twenty four and he's not twenty seven or or twenty eight, so he has plenty of time to do that. But you know, I think that if the if the Bucks were healthy this year, or, yeah, were healthy all the way this year, do we think that the Celtics still would have gotten past them? And it, I mean, they took him seven anyway. Yeah, but I was going to say, I was going to mention that as well. Tatum's 24, Brown's 25, and Williams is 24. So they're all, like, entering their primes, if you will. They have a chance to be an actual, like, big three, (laughs) quote-unquote, if they all keep developing, which is exciting. (laughs) So, up next, we have a special treat for you. We got, I think, our first ever golf segment. Um, So, Dustin Johnson... Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, and Brooks Kepka, I think, today, yep. also joined, um, are among a bunch of people um, that faced heavy criticism after joining the LIV 
45 or 54 like i don't know what what is it phonetically like announce it. <laughs> i was wondering i think it's just the live golf. myself yeah the live golf tour mm-hmm. okay which has been funded by saudi arabia um and the players have been questioned um on their ethical standing given saudi arabia's oppressive government beliefs so jared leading it off do you think it's fair to criticize these players for joining live golf and was it fair to for the pga to respond by suspending a lot of these guys yeah i think the criticism um is fair in a lot of ways i think anytime athletes like athletes are always well paid already and people don't like seeing like somebody that's well paid make a decision based pretty much purely off of money i would say is this this decision it's gonna get it's gonna get criticism and a lot of people don't like it because it's comprised of older players that are considered like past their prime um a lot of people don't like that with the implication being that they can't win on the pga tour so they're just gonna go make their own league essentially Mm -hmm. I mean, like Phil Mickelson just shot like eleven over at the U.S. Open and missed the cut. That didn't. That doesn't help that case. Um, in terms of the PGA suspending, um, I think it's definitely fair. I understand why they did that. Like, live live is a direct competitor to what the PGA does, and it's going to dilute dilute their value if they don't have exclusive access to those golfers, and they want they want that exclusive access. Um, like in other sports, you would never see Patrick Mahomes go and try to play in a USFL game. The NFL would definitely put a stop to that. You know what I mean? And I know golf is weird in that all of the events are kind of hosted by different entities. So even though they were suspended, they could still play in the U.S. Open and all that stuff. But I get the PGA trying to flex their muscles a little bit and, like, keep their power that they have over golf right now, essentially, by doing that suspension. I just feel like... Maybe this is a hot take. I feel like everybody's saying, like, oh, my gosh, it's so unethical for them to do this, would also have done the exact same thing. I mean, Dustin Johnson is making, like, $150 million off of his, right? I mean, it's, like, it's so easy to say they shouldn't do that. The Saudis are, you know, this or that. But I think it's very easy to be on a high horse yeah, sitting from, like, it's a fan's perspective. Nobody, nobody who's criticizing will ever be in the position where it says you have to choose – they have to you have to buy your like ethical belief where here's a hundred million dollars to be to play in a Saudi Arabia funded league. No, of course everyone can say I wouldn't take the money, but if I slapped a hundred million dollars on your desk right now, of course you would go and golf over there. I would. I'm gonna admit it right now. They're paying Phil Mickelson like uh, almost two hundred million dollars to do that. And Tiger Woods, who is he has the the most winnings in PGA history, has the only person to ever crack a hundred million dollars. I think it's low hanging fruit to criticize a lot of these guys. Cause we don't hold anyone else to these ethical values. Like does anybody get on LeBron James for being partners with Nike who, who they obviously they employ some less than favorable situations, you know, across the seas, these sweatshops, you know, these, these unethical areas that way. Does anybody get on LeBron James or Kevin Durant or, or Michael Jordan, or Kobe Bryant about these things? No, of course they don't. Does anybody get on business owners for these things about their their ties to people across seas? Did anybody get on the WNBA when they went and played in Russia, who we all know we have some very strong feelings about You know, with the Ukraine situation? Nobody does that except for just this low-hanging fruit that these are very public individual golfers who are going to play for $200 million. Of course they're going to take the money. I mean, I just, 
Yeah. I, I know that it's like it's Saudi Arabia. Like it, they're like as bad as it gets. But to also to to directly t- make them responsible, like they're not publicly like I think the Saudi Arabia government is actually not that bad. Nobody's saying that. They're just golfing. They're just golfing for a league. Yeah, there's a did you see the funny Phil Nicholson yeah. quote? We're a classic. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry, Aiden, what were you gonna say? Yeah. No, I was just gonna say that we're not comparing like random people taking two hundred million dollars to not having that money at all. We're comparing people on the PGA tour to taking the money from live or whatever. I feel like there's a difference there. And plenty of golfers did not take it. Look at Rory, look at like Justin Thomas. Like most of the top golfers did not take it. So I feel like there's something to be said for that, the fact that they were not going to take the money, even though I'm sure they were offered it. Tiger Woods did not take the money, as you mentioned. Like, plenty of people didn't do it. So it's not like, you know, it's not like they went from being at zero to being at 200 million. So, like, there's a difference there. And yes, I totally agree on the front that people are not that critical of plenty of other morally ambiguous issues in sports. Uh, but I feel like that's kind of like moral relativism-ish stuff where it's like, they can both be wrong, you know? <laughs> like This can be kind of iffy. And LeBron's work with Nike or, you know, like the fact that they won't say stuff about China and whatnot can also be iffy. Like, it can also be bad. Like, all of it can be bad. Um, but, but yeah, on the, like, the topic of the PGA Tour, like, I don't see the PGA Tour as like some kind of moral high ground here. Like, if... If the Live Tour actually manages to stay pro- profitable, which I, it's really hard to imagine given how much money they're paying out, and like probably this is some kind of startup strategy from them, and they'll scale back at some point. But if they do just end up paying out more money in general, it's clear that the PGA Tour isn't giving players their fair share. Like I don't think the players have something to be, you know, there. It seems like the ones who left have something to be mad about to some degree. In, well, the Saudi the Saudi government will never run out of money to fund this thing. Like they they can pump hundreds of million do- of dollars to to get these players to come and play in their tournament. I'm just assuming <clears throat> at some point they do want to make money though. Like who would think? Yeah, it's hard you know, for me maybe. to see them making money based on like the they're paying out 25 million for that random event they threw two weeks ago. Like how is that gonna? Well, I was telling Jared yeah. this um, on Father's Day. We were talking, and I was saying that. The only way that Live is going to be able to survive as like a legitimate tour is that these tournaments have to actually mean something because we all watch Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson get popular by 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 winning PJ tours and the US Open and all of these ones that we we have come familiar with. And I think what's probably going to have to happen is that a Live uh golfer has to win like the US Open and I know that we just passed the US Open and, and a Live golfer did not win it but they would have to go and win one of those other events and be like, okay, you know what, this, like, this other event is legitimate because they're not just paying these guys past their prime. They're paying guys who are winning tournaments still, and they're they're playing legitimate golf tournaments. And then Liv would also have to have players come up through the Liv system and create like a, a more legitimate brand that way um, if, if Liv wants to actually be a longevity thing. But, I mean, look, the Saudi government, can, they can fund as much money into this as they possibly want to. I mean, like... They do whatever the hell they want to. It's it's a uh, no skin off their back, really. And Phil Mickelson did say he wanted to do this to kind of change the way the PGA Tour operates because they don't give their fair share and they kind of strong arm a lot of 
uh, golfers, and they there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, the right, Phil. So this... oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say that the Phil Mickelson quote, like obviously it was terrible and what it was like contrasting like that was messy. what was the quote I, i'm um, not familiar with it what it was that um he talked about the saudis how they're scared like it was kind of off the record it sounded like but he was like the saudis are pretty scary like they you know um the kaskogi the stuff the you know like stuff around gay people like the fact that they'll just execute seems like anyone like he mentioned a bunch of things about why the saudis were scary and that was like but I'm doing this so that we can change the way that, like, golf is played or the way that, you know, change... Do you want me to read it word you know, for word? I have it. Yeah, go for it. That would be much better than me trying to... <laughs> <laughs> All right, he said... He did get it for you. They're scary mother effers to get, uh, to get involved with, Mickelson said. <laughs> we know they killed reporter Jamal Kagowski. Kuskogi. Yeah. excuse me. Yeah. And they have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I ever consider this? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. They've been able to get by <laughs> with manipulative, coerced, strong-arm tactics because we, the players, have no re- recourse, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then, which is obviously like the kind of juxtaposition yeah. there, or it is, it's <laughs> it terrible. Is. Like it was, it's an yes. absolutely awful quote. Um, the last part, though, about the PGA Tour probably being unfair is likely true. Um, not that this is a good, necessarily a good reason to go with this route, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it, this ends up forcing the PGA Tour to pay people more or pay people more fairly. Yeah, well, he also goes on to say, the Saudi money has finally given us leverage. I'm not sure I even want the Saudi league to succeed, but the, just the idea of it allowing us to get things done with the tour. And so was just, this before he joined the tour or like after? <clears throat> it was several months um, ago. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, in a similar vein, do we think there's a sports league, um, either global or in the U.S., which is most likely to follow a similar path where a competing league can actually take some top stars away? I think baseball is the only sport that's international enough mm-hmm. to maybe try and pull players from the MLB. Uh, UCF, I think, is another one that, that could also possibly exist. UFC. Excuse me, yeah. UCF yeah. is a college, right? <laughs> UFC yeah. is a... UFC could, pop, could probably pull some people away boxing as well. Um, I think, I'll, you know, the hard... Go ahead, Lucas. I was going to say, I'll throw out hockey, too. I think there's a chance that hockey... Mm. Um, hockey's pretty international, and it's not that big in the U.S., so I feel like if they went elsewhere and there was somebody, like, bankrolling it, you can make a lot of money. Especially because the NHL is the last of the major leagues in the U.S. to have, like, a real competitive... Eh. I guess simultaneously with the NFL and the USFL, but it was the World Hockey Association in the late 70s that was a competitor, and then some of the teams got absorbed. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like if, like, I don't know, somebody in, like, Russia or Sweden or Finland or something had a lot of money to burn and, like, wanted to, like, bankroll a league, I feel like you could attract some players from hockey to do that. Yeah, I would assume it's just a lot easier with, individual sports where you kind of just have to Mm -hmm. pay and sway the individual whereas Mm -hmm. team sports you have to like start and like each new team have a stadium have all that stuff kind of in place and it Mm -hmm. feels just a lot more complicated to go from one league to the other whereas like a sport like golf or maybe tennis or as y'all mentioned ufc boxing (laughs) like those feel like more prime candidates for this 
Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up for today. Thanks for listening, as always. Make sure you are listening on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and when you're there, make sure you're rating five stars as well. It really helps. Give us a follow on Instagram and on Twitter. We're at lunchpailguys underscore. Um, and, you know, keep on listening. We have another episode later this week. We're going to be talking about some football offseason stuff. So tune in for that. See you then. Thank you.